Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined by TV Awards editor Libby Hill. Uh, ben Travers, TV deputy editor, is out this week, so we'll be filling in for him. But we'd be remiss if we didn't start uh, this podcast by mentioning that Norm Macdonald, a comedy legend, passed away on Tuesday at the age of 61 after a nine-year battle with, with cancer that was unbeknownst to, to everyone. Um, Libby, I guess it's sad that we're doing this two weeks in a row, but sort of what what... What will you uh, sort of remember from Norm Macdonald's career? You know, we were talking before we before we started the podcast, and and just a couple months ago, I had been reminiscing with someone our age about uh, how much we loved Norm Macdonald. Uh, obviously, on SNL, he was our favorite Weekend Update host, and and there was something about his humor, like that very dry, sardonic, flat affect that was a huge influence in, in how I viewed comedy and, and I had incorporated so much of it in, into my own personality that I, that I didn't even realize. And so, you know, it's always weekend update for me because I am not the most knowledgeable comedy person, but like, it's, it's, it's very strange with Norm Macdonald because I wasn't, I didn't follow his career very closely, but I do recognize like his, his outsized influence on, on my life at a very like, influential stage of, of development. What about you? Yeah, I think similarly, we're, we're of the same generation. I definitely grew up with Norm Macdonald as my weekend update host. I, I think also off pod, we were talking about sort of the outside influence he had on what I would argue is sort of like the anti-comedy or like the alternative comedy wing of, of stand-up and sketch, maybe together with other names like Mitch Hedberg and, and Conan's various late night shows. But yeah, I think that, and, and in that vein, the thing that I will always sort of like remember when I think of Norm Macdonald are either his very long jokes that he would tell on Conan when he would come on as a guest or when he essentially bombed on purpose at Bob Saget's roast on Comedy Central, where he was just telling juvenile jokes to an audience expecting raunchy Lisa Lampanelli style takedown humor. And I think that you're seeing a lot. And here's the thing. There's a phrase like your favorite, your comedian's favorite comedian. And like, I think you're seeing a lot of that on playing out online with a lot of really respected comedians going like, this guy was the funniest. Like there's no, there's no if, and, or buts. And I think the reason people say that is because he sort of always played by his own rules. He was always sort of going his own speed. Uh, He, 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 and not that he was doing it purposefully to be like uh, antagonistic. He just like, that's the way he was. So, I mean, it's super sad and and just hoping that sort of his influence lives on and all the comedians he he inspired the good ones. I think, unfortunately, he also inspired a lot of copycats that, that they they might've learned the formula, but they didn't have the proper ingredients. Uh, they misunderstood the purpose of being unfunny and and they didn't find the funny way to be unfunny. And we are all the poorer for it. Thanks yeah, for but, nothing, Norm Macdonald. Uh, but no. that's, what, that's what he would have wanted. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for nothing, Norm Macdonald. He's laughing somewhere. He is. He is laughing at what he has left in his wake. It is the millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Libby, it's a shame that Ben isn't here this week because he could channel that enthusiasm for him. Because he could lord over us that only murders in the building has been renewed for a second season. When we talked about it at length a couple of weeks ago, of like, would there be a season two? Yeah. And he said, Well, it's called Only Murders in the Building. That's the name of the podcast on the show. So unless unless there's more murders in their building. There can't be a season two. Well, it seems like you're going to figure out 
This is like a uh, Final Destination style building. Do not move into this building. I hope they start murdering people to keep <laughs> doing their podcast. Like uh, that's that's the kind of twist I like to see in my TV, and uh, and 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 that's what I'm rooting for. But I'm very happy for Ben. I'm very happy for all those people out there who found um, something really sweet and charming and and truly entertaining in Only Murders in the Building. I always like. I honestly I always like TV shows getting a second season because. A lot of times that doesn't happen, deservedly so or not. And I think the the truth about TV is the medium requires time and investment. And uh, and I would rather see more terrible season twos for shows that were on the verge, or 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 if they weren't sure they would they would be able to make the leap in popularity. I would I'd rather see Hollywood taking more risks because I think the rewards are larger. So although I haven't been able to catch up with Only Murders in the Building yet, there have been a couple awards things going on. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm even more invested now knowing there will be more show to come. And some other sort of semi-renewal news. We knew that Ted Lasso was coming back for a season three. But on Monday, The Hollywood Reporter came out with this reporting saying that there's a, there was a slight holdup in season three because the writers and the cast have been renegotiating their rates, considering what a huge hit Ted Lasso has been these first two seasons. And so someone like Jason Sudeikis has, has upped his ante from the $250,000 he was making an episode to now a million an episode. And... and and some Apparently of this- that had been negotiated before season two was released. Uh, so I feel a little bad. Jason might be underpaid for the like six different hats he's wearing on that show. But uh, but still uh, well worth every penny, I think. I should note, yes, the million dollars is not just for his acting. It's also for serving as a co-creator, head writer in the writer's room and all of the other sort of producing he does on on the side uh, for Ted Lasso. I think similarly, both Brendan Hunt and Brett Goldstein have similar deals where they've upped their their salary and it includes the the producing and and uh, writing they're doing in the writer's room. But but everyone across the board is getting pay bumps. And the thing that I found most interesting about this whole report, and I kind of wish Ben was here to break it down to me, is the fact that this is a co-pro between Warners and Apple. And the idea that right now Warner owns the linear rights to Ted Lasso. And I assume there's some sort of statute of limitations, but, but assuming Apple doesn't buy them out, at some point in the future, you could see Ted Lasso on TNT or TBS. Do I have that right? No, I think so. <laughs> I, I I think so. That's why it's hard for us to do the podcast without the <laughs> industry expert on. But yeah, I mean, I mean that was that was what I took away from that Hollywood Reporter report. There there weren't verified sources in there, so we're going to take it all with a grain of salt. But it all seemed pretty. We trust fun. you. We trust you, Leslie Goldberg. You're yeah, you're in you're in the PMC family. We have to trust you. <laughs> Leslie Goldberg is amazing. Is an amazing reporter. Uh, uh, they have great sources, um, so I have no reason to doubt any of this. But I, I will say, I, I did want to clarify that this is reported. Um, but it all makes sense, and and I don't know how they're going to negotiate that that co pro status. And I I have to believe that's something we're going to look. We're going to see a brief spate of, but much like 
everyone launching their own everyone launching their own uh, streaming services because they don't want Netflix profiting off of their uh, hard work. I think we're going to see fewer and fewer of these co-productions because they don't want to get in a situation where you have a hugely successful show and don't own it outright. Just to be clear, we're going to be talking about your predictions and Ben's predictions for limited series in just a bit. But yeah. what can you what did you glean? What did you yeah. glean from these three separate Creative Arts Emmys uh, award shows over the course of two days this past weekend? Yes, I wrote extensively about that yesterday. It was a very strange, the Creative Arts ceremonies are always very strange uh, onto themselves. Uh, you get to see what, especially different branches of the, of the Television Academy are, are really really excited about they're really excited about RuPaul's Drag Race as they have been increasingly over the last five to six years they really loved Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square the Netflix TV movie that beat out several actual movies for the TV movie prize what else were they excited about oh they're very 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 excited about the Queen's Gambit Leo which we will get into a little more when we're talking I know, about I know. Don't, don't spoil it don't spoil it I will say that the Queen's Gambit won the most awards of any show this past weekend, taking home nine Emmys off of, I believe, 10 nominations, which is bananas. That's a that's a bananas rate of return there. The only limited series that beat Queen's Gambit in any category was I May Destroy You for music supervision, which if you've seen I May Destroy You makes total sense because that music slaps and that series slaps. What else did they like? The Mandalorian also did very well, won seven Emmys, uh, but also didn't really diversify their wins over last year. If you remember last year, Mandalorian didn't win any uh, primetime Emmys. It just sat solid at their seven. So if that is a indication of the Academy's enthusiasm for the show, then the crown should probably triumph on Sunday. Um, I will say that The Crown won a very respectable three Emmys at the Creative Arts Awards categories. You would expect the the biggest the biggest sign that that enthusiasm for The Crown is there is probably the fact that Claire Foy won Guest Actress, won another Emmy for her role as Queen Elizabeth on The Crown for a three minute. Stint, it's wild. It, it, it was wild. I was really not expecting it. And um, I'm just having my prediction of having Don Cheadle and Claire Foy win the two drama guest actor uh, awards didn't come to fruition. Because then, like I said, we would have had less than maybe five minutes of screen time for the two winners of, of guest actor. Uh, Courtney B. Vance won for Lovecraft Country, which I think is wholly deserved. And I think like it was part of our discussion last week about what on earth is a guest actor. Cause he was billed as a pseudo lead to that show in the run up to that show. There's obviously mm -hmm. he, he's obviously in less than 50%. That's the rules, but he is a huge part of the narrative drive of that show and, and a very big part of a part of it throughout. So like it, it makes sense for him to win, but boy, we really miss out on having essentially Cheadle and Foy win for, for what amounts to a, a quick cameo appearance. Yeah. Other takeaways, the Academy hates comedy, as I mentioned on Twitter. Tell me something I didn't know. Yesterday, <laughs> I know. Uh, of the 
eight series nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Emmys. All together, they won four awards at the Creative Arts Emmys. Four. Ted Lasso won three of those awards. Increasingly with the Creative Arts Emmys, it feels as though uh, the categories are being set up to kind of push single cam comedies out. There are two categories set aside uh, specifically for multi-camera sitcoms. There are specifications in other categories that you must include at least one multi-camera sitcom in your nominations. It's strange because now in those categories where you have uh, this technical aspect, comedy or drama, hour or half hour, you're now seeing because of varying episode length that that are becoming more and more common with streaming you are seeing shows like the mandalorian submitting in both hour long and half hour long depending on what a specific episode is which seems if not against the letter of the law it feels against the spirit of the law yeah Um, it's not as though they're making a completely different show when it's only a half hour long so there 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 are just a lot of ways that you know, comedy is getting edged out of these categories. Yeah, they just don't seem to care. It was it was stark when I went through and 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 saw that. And it's setting and 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 something that needs to be addressed. I mean, I think Absolutely. it's a double edged sword coming from my root perspective, where it's like one, I and we've talked about this before on the podcast. I don't think we're sort of in a high time for comedy television. I think there is a lot of good stuff that doesn't end up on the awards d- table. So that that's problem one. They're sort of they're nominating the wrong things. And then and then there's this other aspect of like, generally, we talked about it with Rob McElhenney, comedy just kind of gets trod upon as like the lesser art form of the two. And we discussed it at length that like, that is obviously not true. And I am mm-hmm. of the mind, and I think you share this, that comedy is actually the harder of the two things to do. If you're going to, if you have to ascribe which thing is harder than the other, then comedy is more difficult. And so it's very strange for these for these shows to get overlooked just because when you're going drama versus comedy in some categories, people are just like, well, drama is like real and comedy is just fluff. Something that I think, uh, uh, something that I do think goes back there. I think it's an inherited thing that in the past, all TV comedy was multi-camera. It was most, all of it was filmed on a, a standing set that was used week to week. It was probably lit very similarly, uh, week to week comedy, television comedy has evolved leaps and bounds. And, and it, it would, it is strange to me that it wouldn't be respected on the same level. But that being said, it was a weak year for comedy. They probably needed six nominees max, especially if they nominated the right shows. But um, yeah, it, it was, it, it, it's a double, it, it's, if there's a lot of things going on there, there is, and I don't want to get all correlation causation here, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it was a weak year. It was, it was kind of a weak field, but also it's weird. All right, Libby, it is that time. It's the final week oh, of God. predictions. Uh, we've done the drama series and the comedy series the past two weeks. This, this week we're doing outstanding limited or anthology series. Ben isn't here, but Ben has sent me his picks surreptitiously. You don't know what they are. Nah. And, I, and I will be saying his picks and then okay. either either defending them because I agree 
or sort of very casually giving way to you to tell me why Ben is wrong. So you know, I'm always prepared for that. <laughs> oh, so just if if I'm wrong, pretend I'm Ben, and just okay. really really lay into me and why I'm wrong with these. Okay. Picks. All right. Well, for for writing, outstanding writing and limited anthology series, uh, Ben has "I May Destroy You" winning here, which is three. There's three shows in the category that are written solely by a singular person. And then there are three WandaVision episodes, which you would assume would split the vote with each other. So in terms of the shows that are written by soul, one sole person, I May Destroy You, Mayor of Easttown, and The Queen's Gambit, he's going I May Destroy You. I kind of agree with this. I think I, think I May Destroy You needs to be awarded right. at, at the primetime awards. And so like it, if, if this is the one it, it's going to get, give it to Michaela Cole, give her time to get up there and give a speech. Libby, say why Ben's right. Ben's right because this feels like the most straightforward and and likely place to award Cole, who was the creator, the star, the writer, also served as director uh, as a, a director on some episodes or on all episodes, but sometimes she had a co-director. This is where it makes the most sense to award her uh, competition in in limited series lead actress. No matter how worthy Cole is, the competition's too stiff. And she doesn't have a name recognition. She might win in directing, but actually she's at a disadvantage there because there are two different I May Destroy You episodes nominated there. So after after that, because it won't win limited series, this makes the most sense. This is what I want to happen, but that is not what I currently have picked to win. I have, I, I got to tell you, Leo, I was... I was a little bit broken by last year and Schitt's Creek. I feel very burned by it. I was very sure that there would be some diversification in winners. But after sitting through the Creative Arts Emmys, three different ceremonies in two days, I'm picking Scott Frank. It feels wrong for me in these very big, obvious categories to choose against Queen's Gambit if I'm being uh, strategic. But, you know, my heart is with I May Destroy You. My heart may convince my brain to, to switch that up because I think that is the most likely place we see I May Destroy You leaving, making its mark. Especially because Scott Frank is also nominated singularly for direction, which is where he could be, where, where he could be awarded for Queen's Gambit. So funny you say that because Ben, <laughs> Ben is picking the Queen's Gambit and Scott Frank to win directing for a limited or anthology series or movie. This is a, a slightly bigger category with seven nominees and the very controversial Hamilton directed by Thomas Kale in the year 2016. Uh, 2016. Yes. And as you mentioned, there are two I May Destroy You episodes, one Sam Miller on his on his lonesome and then one Sam Miller and Michaela Cole. Uh, you have Underground Railroad, directed by Barry Jenkins. And then you have Mayor of Easttown, directed by Craig Zobel. Are you in agreement with Ben? I am, as much as I hate to say it. And I, also know, I also know that Ben's heart is with Barry Jenkins and the Underground Railroad, and he isn't wrong to feel that way. Uh, I just don't think it's going to break that way this time around. There's just, I think this is Scott Franks because it's a very easy thing to give to Scott Frank. Um, especially, especially if you want the option of not giving him writing, which I'm not sure they'll take, but uh, direction seems 
pretty locked up for me. You know, it's possible they go, I may destroy you here. And and something I'm looking at, I'm looking at the gold derby odds, which still mean anything, but they do have, they have uh, Queen's Gambit slightly ahead. And then they have the ego death episode of I may destroy you, the Underground Railroad and Mayor of Easttown, all with the exact same odds and, and WandaVision. No one else knows what's happening in this category, but I feel like it's pretty, it's pretty clear it'll be Scott Frank. And I think that's a good way to go. Like he was the mastermind of this. He deserves to be recognized in one of these cate- big categories beyond just like limited the, the overall prize. And I, I, you know, I think that's, I think that's what, how it's going to shake out here. I know you mentioned, you know, awarding Scott Frank for Queen's Gambit here, but isn't there a perfect world where maybe you're able to get Michaela Cole, Barry Jenkins and Scott Frank all up on, on stage at various points in this night? If, if you give either Underground Railroad or the Queen's Gambit best limited series, so that so that you can kind of get these three, you know, super singular voices, like a chance to to sort of, you know, thank all the people that helped make these things, but also to showcase, hey, these were three really, really amazing shows that all occurred within the same year. And we really should take note of that. Absolutely. There is absolutely it, it, clearly from the nominations there, there is absolutely a scenario where that happens. It's not this scenario. It's not this world. I wish it was. That's absolutely what I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for accolades, well-earned accolades for all of these creative minds who created really meaningful pieces of art that, that, that helped people, that made people's lives better, that helped them feel seen. I, I want them all to end up on the Emmy stage. I just don't have any faith that that is going to happen come Sunday, which makes me sad. But if you're looking to win your Emmy pool, there's no room for hope. It's yeah. the hope that kills you. Well, moving along to outstanding supporting actress in a limited series or TV movie. There are two Hamilton actresses in this in this set of nominations, two Mayor of Easttown actresses, one Queen's Gambit and one WandaVision. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Ben is going with Katherine Hahn here for WandaVision, though I don't disagree with him in terms of who's going to win. And I love Katherine Hahn to death. I just have to say from my own standpoint, like Julianne Nicholson is doing way more that sort of maybe deserves uh, something more deserving of maybe awarding uh, someone. But that's just that's just me as Ben. (laughs) I completely agree. Uh, Katherine Hahn is going to win this award. I have loved Katherine Hahn for like years and years now it is great to see her finally coming to a more public recognition Uh, i would love for her to win this award but also yeah it's not her best work it's it's not her best um performance ever i could probably list a half dozen performances that that easily better showcase her skills as an actress but this is happening <laughs> I, I i mentioned in slack while i was at the ceremonies for the casting awards or for the casting nominees when they were announcing the casting for i don't i don't even remember what it was but uh, they would have a clip from each of the nominees and every clip would be like several of the characters in the shot you know it would be in Bridgerton it was like a dinner scene with a a Mm -hmm. bunch of people there I may destroy you it was like at a party or a club you know or a picnic like there were these opportunities to see like be reminded of like the entire cast WandaVision came up it was just Catherine Hahn 
<laughs> turning around in the middle of that uh, Agatha all along shot. And that's the secret. Like it's, it, they didn't cast, they didn't cast Elizabeth Olsen to be Wanda Maximoff. They didn't cast Paul Bettany as, uh, as a vision. Uh, they, they had those signed up beforehand, but it's bringing Catherine Hahn into this universe uh, and, and letting her do her thing. That is the brilliance. Hey, they also brought Evan Peters in to be Ralph Boner. Exactly. Speaking of Evan Peters in supporting actor. Beautiful. We have three Hamilton actors, Anthony Ramos, David Diggs and Jonathan Groff. Then uh, Papa, I see you by from I may destroy you. Evan Peters from Mayor of Easttown and Thomas Brody Sangster from The Queen's Gambit. Ben is going with Evan Peters from Mayor of Easttown. Is that it? That's that's where I'm at, too. There was a part of me that thought very seriously about Switch. And, you know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent lost yet, but I thought really hard. No, to Thomas Brody Sangster. Like oh. I was very influenced by that Queen's Gambit, that Queen's Gambit performance in Creative Arts. And while it's very easy for me to be dismissive of the seven Emmys that that The Mandalorian brought in, I, I am clearly not that dismissive about the Queen's Gambit. Of course, drama series and limited series are, are completely different games. But I don't know. I I I am supposed to be more frightened of Hamilton. And as I got burned with that on my nomination picks, I should have learned my lesson that I'm honestly proceeding into this weekend. Looking at Hamilton is kind of a non-factor. I thought it would maybe show up more at the Creative Arts Emmys. In retrospect, I don't know where it would have. It did win one award, I believe, for uh, either editing or lighting. But I, I don't know. You're 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 hoping you're hoping that the Academy realized the error of its ways with all of these Hamilton nominations and it's like, well, we can't have them win. They were just nominated. Right. I feel like I feel uh I feel like they were going through and they were looking and they're like, God, I loved Hamilton. And then the nominations came out, and then they were all like, Wait, Hamilton isn't TV. What have we done? But I don't know. It seems bananas to be picking Evan Peters in this category just because it was a lovely performance. It was a, it was a, it was solid. It was a great performance, but it doesn't feel like an Emmy winning performance. Neither does Thomas Brody Sangster. I mean, at some point I, I get to the point where I'm like, oh my God, like should, should one of the Hamilton people win? Obviously Papa Esidu would would be great and I'd love to see it, but it does feel like a very strange situation where that would be the only acting win from I May Destroy You when it is, you know, Michaela Cole's baby. It is such a um, tour de force, yeah. So I, I, it's a weird category. It's a, it's, a, it's a category I feel strangely unconfident in. Let's keep some of that unconfidence in because let's move to lead actor in a limited series or oh boy. movie. Cause like, Here's where, you know, you had two Hamilton actors take up two, sp- two out of five spots in a, in a smaller field of nominees. There is no Ethan Hawke here. We, we talked last week about, you know, the whole Peter McNichol guest actor uh, fiasco that, you know, he ended up in one more episode of Veep and so he couldn't be guest actor. Mm-hmm. And then the person who took his spot, which we would assume was sixth in voting for guest actor, ended up winning. Right. There's a scenario here where you have to assume in the nomination process, Ethan Hawke is sitting six behind this group of five. 
And if he snuck in at five, he wins this category hands down. Yeah, and it's just, going it's away. Just, it's, it's the fact that he's not in the top five that excludes him that leads to him not being able to win this award. Uh, me as Ben, I am saying Paul Bettany is going to win for WandaVision. I think that's what Gold Derby says. But why? Is it the, is it the least of all potential evils? Is this just a very bad nomination class? It's a very bad nomination class in that when, when you when you consider the shows they could have pulled <laughs> oh yeah don't oh, oh yes the two hamilton performances one is is all-time great the other is lin-manuel miranda and <laughs> um and those those are those are great i saw hamilton on broadway original cast except for um king george uh, and I can't remember his name right now, but um, Jonathan Groff, he's up Jonathan for best Groff. supporting, Thank you. up for best supporting actor. I know. Um, I love Hamilton. Those are great performances. They are not limited series anthology not television. TV movie. It's not. It's not TV. Nor is it a movie. I, I have to, on principle, at least in this conversation, put them aside. So then, what do I have? I have Hugh Grant, who's great in a terrible show. Yep. I have Paul Bettany, who's fine in a terrible show. I have Ewan McGregor, who's in Halston. Who is Halston? Who, who is Halston. I don't love my choices. And I guess conventional wisdom says you go with Paul Bettany because WandaVision had a lot of heat in nominations. I think it's entirely possible that Leslie Odom Jr. wins just on the power of of that performance. But right now, I'm still picking Hugh Grant just because it's another scenario where he was the best part of a terrible show. I think his reputation and, and people think of him as a good guy, a guy that has been in the industry a while, who's had his share of troubles, who has fought back from it and, and tried to uh, actively work against the, the sort of box he had been placed in and has proven himself incredible at playing terrible people and not taking himself too seriously. I respect that. And I, I think that's my vote right now is that I, I'm voting for who I respect most. And at this point, I think it's Hugh Grant. And um, I don't think Ben's wrong, but I don't know if Ben's right either. Yeah. I, I don't think there is a right answer in this category. And I'm already going ahead assuming I'm going to get this wrong. So yeah, I mean, this is going to be an L no matter what. I mean, yeah, Ben Ben is going with Paul Bettany. I think that's that's where the tides seem to be shifting. But I even remember back when, and granted, the Golden Globes are a completely different animal. And, and you know, the Golden Globes did have Ethan, Ethan Hawke and Hugh Grant up for uh, Best Actor in a Limited Series. They were both bested by Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True. But even at the time, Ben was like, Hugh Grant could win here just based on sort of his star, his like wattage, his star wattage. And so I think there is that sort of way, weighing into things. So I don't think you're wrong in saying that Hugh Grant could could win this award. This is a very strange field of nominees. It's horrible. And, I, and, I Well, moving on to what most be from from what, I, what we think is a very weak category of nominees to what may be the more most hotly contested the strongest category of nominees for lead actress in a limited series you have cynthia revo in genius aretha which in any other year would be in the running to win but like in in this year she's probably 
solidly fifth behind in this this group of five where you have Cynthia Revo, Michaela Cole for I May Destroy You, Kate Winslet for Mayor of Easttown, Anya Taylor-Joy for the Queen's Gambit, and then Elizabeth Olsen for WandaVision. We were talking a little bit before the podcast. Ben is going Kate Winslet here for Mayor of Easttown. And you mentioned that after the weekend, Queen's Gambit showing, that you think that Anya Taylor-Joy might be the pick here. And I was, we were sort of making this argument that like you were saying that Queen's Gambit really can't exist without Anya Taylor-Joy in that role. And whereas Kate Winslet is doing a fantastic job on Mayor of Easttown, there is a conceivable notion that there could be other actors that could be at the center of Mayor of Easttown and the show would not suffer tr- that tremendously. It would still be able to exist and be people would watch it and be like, that was pretty good. I, yeah. I think I think there are scenarios where there are different actresses in that role, maybe lower profile, maybe Julianne Nicholson, to be completely honest. And that version somehow surpasses uh, the one that we saw. Kate Winslet is incredible in that. Uh, She's always incredible. But at a certain level, you are always going to be marveling at, oh, shit, look what Kate Winslet's doing. So it, it, it and and that's a that's something you have to overcome. Now, for some people, they love that because they love stars. I th- yeah. So w- w- we were we were discussing that. I think that Beth Harmon is such a a peculiar beast on Queen's Gambit, and I think that Anya Taylor Joy is that same kind of peculiar. She is gorgeous in a very unconventionally conventional way you know she's equal parts runway model and extraterrestrial she she has this energy around her I I legitimately don't think that there is another actress in Hollywood that could have played that role as well and I think it would be bananas to not award that while fully embracing that series but at the same time it's not a perfect analogy, but I made the distinction that like Anya Taylor Joy in Queen's Gamut is a little bit like when you're voting for uh, MVP in, in baseball and as opposed to picking the best player on the on the best team, you're sort of picking like the who's having the best season, even if their team and not to say that Queen's Gamut is a losing team. And that's why and that's why this analogy doesn't hold water. But the idea that like Anya Taylor Joy without her, that team is is nothing almost in, in a weird way. And so you kind of need to award that in some ways. Like Mike Trout has a super high wins above replacement. And like you give him MVP, even if he's on a losing team. It's it, it because I think the Queen's Gambit is is solidly good without Anya Taylor-Joy. It's a good limited series. It gets nominated, but not enough. Not It doesn't have the the fervor, the word of mouth. People aren't obsessed with it uh, yeah. without Anya Taylor Joy, and and then we're seeing more room for "I May Destroy You" for Mayor of Easttown for uh, shows that might be better, but also might just be more popular. Uh, Queen's Gambit isn't the best limited series of the year, but it was a good time to watch. I enjoyed it, and it it completely took my mind off of everything else that was going off on that year, and a lot of that was because of how mesmerizing Anya Taylor Joy is. So. I have to give it to her and I understand, I will understand it in intellectually when and if Kate Winslet wins, 
but I, I, I will think that an injustice has been done, even as saying that neither actress gave a top two performance on limited series by an actress this year, which for me would be Tusom Bedo on uh, the Underground Railroad and Michaela Cole on I May Destroy You, but that's the game we're playing. So I don't think Ben's wrong. I just don't think I my I don't think my I'll be able to make that choice. I think I'm going with Anya Taylor Joy. It feels like a shit's creaky kind of year, and we could just see Queen's Gambit walk with everything it should win. I mean, it's not. I, I really don't think it's getting those supporting roles in there, but. I don't know. This I may mean, be sweet ter- territory. Again, coming coming away from the Winter Awards, Queen's Gambit was in the pole position. And essentially, everything had to come from behind to catch it. And it was really only facing off, in some cases, Golden Globes looking at you. It was really only facing off against I May Destroy You. And then WandaVision and Mayor of Easttown come around and sort of have a lot of heat behind them. So it would seem like it was sort of these awards were it's at some point and it, it had to like fight to keep them in the minds of yeah. voters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because WandaVision and Mayor of Easttown come in and they're super flashy. Do you have an Oscar winner? You have the biggest movie franchise of all time. When you, when you put it in that, in that perspective, uh, Queen's Gambit is a, a, uh, a plucky little limited series that yeah. that has made good. It's just that it came at at a low point in in the limited series race, so it it got kind of miscast as as the uh, front runner dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I don't want to bury the lead, but in outstanding limited series, me Ben Travers, I'm going with the Queen's Gambit. Same. Which, all right. That's it. Lock it in. Sorry. Sorry. Like I I just um it's entirely possible we get to Sunday and they start awarding things and Queen's Gambit is done. Maybe it had a Mandalorian run. Maybe it has already won all its awards. I do not believe that is what we're looking at. Also, what a Sunday it would be we'll for see. for Netflix if the things that we have predicted do come to fruition where you would have the crown and the Queen's Gambit win you know two of the top three prizes at at the emmys right after going uh the entirety of their uh, of their existence without winning (laughs) without winning one of the big series prizes at the emmys yeah that's a big story for them and honestly leo that's why i'm so uh bullish about queen's gambit and now the crown Something that I wrote about, but that we didn't really talk about is that Netflix was a huge winner at the Creative Arts Emmys. They took home 34 trophies. To give you some perspective, last year, HBO at both the Creative Arts and uh, Primetime Emmys won the most Emmys. They won 30. Um, Netflix has already surpassed the, the biggest one from last year. They have the two front runners in both drama series and limited series, they are all, all but assured, at least conservatively, let's six say more? three, three, oh, acting, six. three acting awards, okay. uh, three more acting awards. So, uh, I mean, 
I don't think they'll get to the record. Uh, the record was 44 by CBS in 1974, which isn't as impressive because we had what, like four channels back then. Um, but then HBO in Game of Thrones first season won so many that HBO won 43 Emmys. Netflix could match the CBS number. It could match that HBO number. I don't think it's going to have that for tonight, but the fact that they're in range is a huge testament to what kind of Sunday I think they're going to have. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Well, we'll see you Sunday, Emmys. See you Sunday, Emmys. Millions of screens of production of the Penske Media Corporation Anywhere. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About TV and Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. Our executive editor is TBD. Since Ben is out, I figured I would talk about some of my favorite Chicago Bears quarterbacks since he can't be here to either say yes or no on any of these things. So without further ado, here, here are the Chicago Bears quarterbacks that Millions of Screens endorses. Cade McNown. Through left-handed. First on my list. First on my, like, on my brain list. I was like, we got to mention him because Ben would be so mad if we didn't. Yeah. Uh, Mention old Cade McDown. Yeah. Left-handed, super bust. Just an awful, uh, awful waste of a a draft pick taken in the first round. Mitch Trubisky. Oh, gone too soon, I think, maybe. We let him go. There he is. He's gone. Floating in the wind. Now we got Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. We, as if I'm a Bears fan. I know, right? I love it. We got and I mean, you. there's so many other great names to potentially pick from. I, I mean, I went to UF, so I obviously love Shane Matthews. Don't worry, we're saving Rex for later. Uh, and, you know, Mike Tomczak has a f- fantastic last name. Hey, Eric Kramer. Eric Kramer still and holds the record Kramer for went? most holds record for most touchdowns by a Chicago Bears quarterback in Which, a single season. 33. Pretty low bar. Pretty low bar. All those years, bar. all those years and Jay Cutler... Couldn't top it. Couldn't top the record for most passing touchdowns well, in a year. He refused to stop smoking. But without um, a doubt, without a doubt, millions of screens strongly endorses sexy Rexy, Rex Grossman. He is your Chicago Bears quarterback for now, for all time. He's kind of who the Bears deserve. You know, God, I wish I could argue with you, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's. He's impactful. kind of a, he's an, he's an excellent mix of everyone. He's a little bit Jay Cutler. He's, mm-hmm. he's a little bit Jim Harbaugh. He's a mm-hmm. little bit greasy. He's a he's a little mm-hmm. bit. He's actually a lot of Jim McMahon. Like <laughs> yeah, Rex Rex it's... Grossman is the perfect amalgamation of every Bears quarterback yeah. since they won the Super Bowl. They should honestly. Uh... Get rid of the the C and just put Rexy on the on the old dome. Like he's he's the best na- mascot we can have. It's a, it's a it's a shame they can't change their mascot to just the Grossman, because that's also a good name for a team. The Gross, the Gross Men. Yes. The Gross Men, the Grossman. God, I'd buy so much merch. Uh, I don't hey, understand Was- why Washington Football Team. <laughs> we got a we got a hell of a mascot for you, the Grossman. Do they have any idea how much money they would make with that merchandise? Uh, oh. I would give it to everyone I know. <laughs> um, Grossman. Grossman. Oh, we didn't even talk about Kyle Orton and his neck beard. Well, we'll have to leave it for another time because we're never going to talk about Chicago Bears football on this podcast again. No. Sorry, Ben. You, you can find us on Twitter. This is what yeah. it is. 
He misses window. You can find us on Twitter at a million streams at Midwest Pitfire, Ben T. Travers, and Leah Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>